Hey, it's Alahe. Over the next three days, we're bringing you something really incredible on Post Reports. For the last year, reporters at The Post have embedded inside of one school as it grapples with community violence and how to protect its students. These reporters witness things few journalists have ever seen in person. And trust me, you won't want to miss this reporting. This story is just so different from a lot of the stories you hear of school violence and shootings. The first episode is our show today. And you'll hear the next two episodes come out Thursday and Friday. And just a warning, this episode contains descriptions of violence. Okay, here's the show. On a cold January day, Tess Short woke up at 6 a.m. It was a Wednesday, a work day, but she didn't pull on her usual blouse and slacks. That morning, Short thought about what a teenager might wear. Then she picked out a hoodie, jeans, and a pair of pink Converse. She got in her car and drove 45 minutes to a high school in Richmond, Virginia. That's where I first met her, in the hallway. She was standing with her arms folded outside a classroom, watching the students talking in groups nearby. She told me she left her staff badge behind. That was intentional, too. So I dress down because I'm a tad bit older than the students, so I don't stand out as much. Um, I just pick something out of my closet that is kind of what I do on the weekend on the wavelength of what the students um, are wearing. Short is 45. She's an instructional specialist for Richmond Public Schools. She was at Huguenot High School because, the night before, an 18-year-old student was shot to death behind the school baseball fields. So basically what I do when school experience trauma, I follow the student's schedule that passed away and sit in their class in their exact seat that they, they would have been sitting in all day and kind of triage people to um, different locations, whether it's the media center or the library, wherever they need support. Short would spend all day taking the classes the dead student would have taken, saying hello to the friends and teachers he would have greeted, sitting in his empty seat. It's all part of a carefully thought-out plan in Richmond Public Schools, a step-by-step response involving people across the district. Everyone has a role. Some of this, like Short's job, is experimental. It looks nothing like what schools have traditionally done. Over the course of the day, administrators with mental health training set up in an empty conference room. They wait to comfort students and staff. The principal decides how to tell the school. And Huguenot school resource officer paces the hallways, listening to what high schoolers are saying, especially the dead students' friends. Everyone knows their role well because they've done it so many times. In Richmond, it's all too common for students to get shot. According to the district, over the past three school years, almost 30 Richmond students have died in gunfire. And then there were the deaths that could have happened. According to Superintendent Jason Camrys, school officials responded to credible student threats of suicide more than 500 times last year. Tragedy is typical. The unthinkable has become routine. I actually, if I'm being honest, I almost feel numb. It's like, yep, there was another shooting. And now, you know, it's almost like we, we find some joy in the fact that, you know, we hear about a shooting in the community 
that the, that the student didn't die. That at least it wasn't that. And I mean, that is what an insane mind frame to have. Nobody sees these consequences more directly than Short, the instructional specialist I met at Huguenot. Do you ever find anything difficult about literally sitting in the seats of the kids who aren't there anymore? So, no. Um, and it comes with experience because I've been doing it for so long. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Hannah Natanson, and I cover education. It's Wednesday, November 15th. Over the next three days, we're bringing you a special miniseries called Surviving to Graduation. This is the first episode. I began to report on Richmond Public Schools a year ago with two colleagues, audio producer Sabi Robinson and education reporter Mariah Belingit. We set out to answer a question. What are schools doing to help keep kids safe from gun violence? And when students do experience violence, how can schools help with the trauma? We picked Richmond because it's come up with some unusual answers. But the story changed after a student died on our first visit to Huguenot. On our last, another student died in gunfire as he left his graduation. We spent months tracing the fallout of both tragedies for school staff, students, and the dead teens' families. We realized this story wasn't just about the solutions. It was about the magnitude of the problem. Gun violence is reshaping American education. We saw how little schools can do to stop students from dying, but also how necessary their efforts are. It's not just Richmond. It's a national problem. Tonight, we have new details about the deadly weekend shooting in Dadeville, Alabama. It happened Saturday night at a sweet 16 birthday party, and we now know all of the lives lost were high school seniors. D.C. police say now 25 young people have been shot in the district since January 1st. 117 Philadelphia public school students have been the victim of violence. So far this year, 26 have died. In 2020, guns became the leading cause of death among teens, and Black teens are getting shot and killed at the highest rates. But it's especially bad in Richmond. In 2017, the city's rate of young people killed by guns spiked to three times the national average. We knew the statistics. We didn't know what it was actually like to be inside a high school the day after a student dies. This year, we found out. Hey, 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 hey. All right. Huguenot sits on the south side of Richmond. It's a large, modern-looking building made up of brick and metal rectangles. One of the first places we went inside the school was a room called the Healing Lounge. Come on in. Thank you. Oh, my God, it smells so good in here. Thank you. It's a special space the school set up to support people grappling with violence and pain. It had already seen a lot of use that school year. Between the start of school and winter break, one Huguenot student was shot to death. Another was shot and wounded. A third was accused of shooting his sister. These things all happened before we started our reporting at the school. When we visited, the lounge was run by Whitney Wilson, a social worker at Huguenot. Instead of my room being a social work office, I have it as the healing lounge because we do a lot of healing in here. 
So I don't want them to be like, oh, social work office, what does that mean? So I'm more so phrase it as the healing lounge. Can you read the red sign? Sure. You ready? <laughs> Keep calm and see your school social worker. <laughs> the small room is plastered in bright colors, flowery smells, and lots of posters. One of them asks students to be a bestie, not a bully. There's a semicircle of three small couches with pillows that have stitched on slogans reminding you to breathe. Makeup wipes and mirrors are stationed by the seats. Um, the girls taught me that because they'd be like, can you see my face? How my face look before I go? So I have a mirror back there to check them out before they leave because, you know, they just had a moment. You may have a breakdown and you don't want to go out ugly before in the hallway or somebody can tell, you've been crying, what's going on? There are also boxes of fidget toys in Wilson's room. Small spinners, balls, or cubes you can play with to feel less stressed. Yeah. These fidget, the poppets. Oh, yeah, the poppets. The, these are very popular. Um, stress balls. I have Play-Doh. Usually when they're really anxious or nervous, it's more so shaking of the hands. So anything they can put in their hand, help them relax and talk and share. Makes them feel any comfortable. Um, this is they're able to go right in the box and get whatever they need. The fidgets are not just for students. Some staff keep a toy close at hand as we interview them. They pull squeeze balls from pockets, Rubik's cubes from desk drawers. Huguenot has more than one and a half thousand students. It's the largest high school in the city. Over half the student body is black. More than a third are Hispanic. This partly mirrors the city. Richmond's Hispanic population has grown in the past decade, especially on the south side where Huguenot is. Almost half the people living in Richmond are Black. But while white residents make up almost the same amount, they're only about 11% of public school students. This reflects the city's long history of segregation. Most Huguenot students also qualify for public assistance. This means that a lot of them also struggle with poverty, on top of the violence. Like other Richmond public schools, Huguenot has been struggling academically, particularly since the pandemic. The school accreditation is in danger because last year some state test scores were low and almost a third of students were chronically absent. But that's not what teens focus on. Samuel Cohen was a sophomore at Huguenot when we spoke with him. He played defensive end on the football team. His friends had specific warnings before he started at Huguenot. They said that Huguenot was like, they used the word ghetto. It was very ghetto and, you know, people get shot, robbed. Samuel says that what really makes a difference at Huguenot are the people. The officers and the counselors and all the teachers really care about the students. So they have like a teacher-student type of friendship. Like, you know, they can talk cool but you also got to get your work done. Nice shoes. Yeah. Things are my Scotland shoes. Yeah. Oh, really? Those are very, like, the principal when we visited was Robert Gilstrap. He had led the school for seven years. He has a beard and hair that almost reaches his shoulders, which is a new look for him. Before he was principal, he served in the Army and had a buzz cut. But working in a school means that he's had to become a lot less rigid, and it's pushed him to let down his hair. 
Yeah. And I had a short military haircut because I have a military background, but my wife and I went to Scotland this summer, and when I came back, I'd seen so many men in my family that had long hair and beards. I was like, well, let's just try it and see what it's like. And so trying it and seeing what it's like. Gilstrap loves his job. He loves his students. But he's worried for them. Since the pandemic, he has noticed an increase in fights at school that stem from minor beefs on social media. He tries to reach students even when it seems impossible. This philosophy is behind everything he does for students, even the ones who don't make it. It's not new for Richmond to have violence. I think what might be new is how much it's getting right down to the student level. Um, Not that it's okay for two adults to kill themselves in the streets, but when it's a child um, or an educator, I just think that it touches us differently. It touches me differently. I'm an educator, and I'm married to an educator, and I have children. Um, We want to say that children are... They're innocent until they're adults. And when you die and you're innocent, that's, that's tragic. So how do you deal with a student who's not innocent? You know, how do you deal with that? So like if they, if they were, if they killed somebody, is that what you mean? Yeah. So the last student that I know of that did that, I remember sitting in my office on the other side of this wall on his last day at Huguenot. Um, he kept on skipping class. He didn't want to be in, in school. I told him that I was afraid that his life wasn't going to be a very successful life the way he was going. And he told me, he said, Mr. Gilstrap, you need to stop worrying about me. I'm going to be fine. And a couple months later, he had killed his girlfriend and then killed himself. I was very sad that the girlfriend died, but I was just as sad that he died. While he was still alive, he still had a chance to turn his life around and do something different with his life. But I'm not going to give up on anybody as long as they're still breathing. We'd seen the numbers about surging crime and shootings among young people. Now we were seeing what it meant for people like Gilstrap. He's had to accept that part of his job is to have conversations like this with students where he tries to steer them away from violence. But the school's attempts to prevent violence aren't just limited to Gilstrap talking with students. There are metal detectors and video cameras on campus. School administrators often employ a tactic called restricted movement, where they prevent students from going into the hallways during class unless it's an emergency. The district also employs 68 unarmed security staffers across its schools. They screen kids at the door and help defuse minor conflicts. Then there are the school resource officers, police who go through special training that teach them how to handle teenagers. They're responsible for handling possible criminal activity. They're posted in most of Richmond's high schools and three of its middle schools. Having this number of security staff isn't unusual for a district of Richmond's size. When we spoke with students, some seem to have complicated relationships with the unarmed officers. That's because they're the ones in charge of enforcing some of the school's more punitive measures, like restricting movement in the hallways and checking students' backpacks as they enter school. But the relationship that many students had with the school's resource officer seemed different. The officer, Willie Ruffin, had worked there for six years. 
most of his days start the same way. Kind of just walking around the hallway first couple of hours or so, maybe just greeting everyone, checking up the pulse for the school, seeing some students, checking how their day went, their night went, uh, just getting a climate of the building. Um, like Gilstrap, Ruffin is worried about student conflicts. He's had to break up a lot of fights. When he can, he tries to stop them before they start. He knows the smallest shoving match could end with a student getting shot. That means he's developed a very specific list of things to look for as he walks the school. Like the way students dress. My colleague Sabi wandered the hallways with him as he talked about that. Um, like if I see someone's uh, like hair in a bun, there's normally like in a bun, excuse me, then I might, you know, look at like, oh, okay, what's going on? So you're noticing hairdos as well? Yes. Yeah, because like if a young lady's used to having her hair like dolled out, straight down, whatever, and then she pulls it up, has a hat on her hoodie tied tight, she's probably getting ready to fight. She want her hair to get pulled. So just like little stuff like that. Whoa, okay. Yeah, so. Other times, he notices students' shoes. Why are your Crocs in sport mode? Oh my God. (laughs) Specifically, whether their Crocs are in what is called sport mode. This means the straps on the Crocs are flipped back, hugging students' heels. It makes it easier for teens to run away from a fight, or toward one. So, it's like little stuff like that. So, I just, this is a temperature check, you know? He just jokes about it, but I think he's fine. But if he was like, like, okay, what's going on? Ruffin watches students' social media, too. He knows online feuds can spill over into real-life hallways. None of this is directly in Ruffin's job description. I've reported on other school resource officers in the past. Few took the extra steps Ruffin does. But not all of his job is staying alert for catastrophe. Sometimes he just hangs with kids who call him rough. He runs an after-school fitness program for students that meets a couple of times a week. And he'll go to the school's weight room to work out with students who have free periods or who just want to get in shape. He checks their form on the pull-up bar and pushes them to keep going. Bring back, put your head up, chest up, yep, and stand straight up. Ooh, let's go. Yeah. High five, yes, no doubt. Yes. Over the past several years, Ruffin has taken on another role, too. A sort of life coach. Someone who intervenes when he sees a student taking the wrong path. And I always say to him, like, if your name's coming up on the, the police radio, is it from the school radio? The school radio, the school handles that. If it comes up on a police radio or in my email about you, that means something you're doing on the fringe of hangout or whatever, you know, you're associating with could be problematic. And I don't want it to end with your mom having to be called to identify you. I don't want you to be called for your mom to have to come bail you out. I don't want your mom to be called because I'm calling you because I have to make an arrest. Like, I don't want that to be the the story. Jaden Carter was one of the students Gilstrap and Ruffin were worried about back when we visited in January. Jaden was a senior who had just turned 18. He hadn't been showing up to class. The first day we came to Huguenot, he was sitting outside the principal's office, waiting to talk to someone about his attendance. We actually walked right by him on our way to interview Gilstrap. He wouldn't go to class. We were telling him, you need to go to class, you're a senior. 
Jaden's hair was in dreadlocks. He had headphones on. He was wearing a blue hoodie. It would be his last visit to the front office. Coming up after the break, the plan that Huguenot follows after a tragedy. The next morning, we woke up in our Airbnb and opened an article published by the Richmond Times-Dispatch. It reported that someone had been shot right next to the school. Sabby told me the news while we were standing in the kitchen. There was a shooting behind Huguenot High School, like right near the baseball field, what? at like 6 p.m. yesterday. So we like we just missed right it. There. We were literally right there. Jesus. Yeah, so I don't know whether it's a student or whether it's a... We don't know if yeah. got hurt. We don't know whether anyone got hurt. My God, we were right the article didn't reveal much. It said a man was shot early Tuesday evening. It happened near a small apartment complex next to the Huguenot baseball fields. Police were called there at 5.54 p.m. The man died at the scene. It also said another man had been shot nearby, and police believed the shootings were somehow connected. Minutes later, our phones buzzed with a message. Angela so texted us. At 7.36, Angela texted... Good morning. Our team is responding to a crisis in this moment. Chuck will meet you. Angela is Angela Ransom Jones. Principal Gilstrap hates getting calls from her because when she calls, he knows something very bad has happened. Jones is the district's director of culture, climate, and student services. She's held that job since 2018. It means Jones works evenings and weekends managing crises and preventing others from developing. Or at least trying to. And what does it actually mean to be in your position? What do you do? Oh, goodness. Um, so <laughs> daily we describe it. It's almost like an ambulance emergency services person, I feel like. Um, so on any given day, we're carrying out the vision of being a more trauma-responsive, restorative in nature division or building those pieces. Um, but honestly, on um, many days, it feels like we are putting out fires and running the emergency vehicles to wherever our kids or staff need. After we received Jones's text, we drove to Huguenot to meet her. She was doing what she does every time this happens. She set up an empty conference room. It would function both as her office and a place for others to find support. She placed her laptop and several phones on the table in front of her. She brought snacks. She planned to stay all day. She wanted to be on-site if emergencies cropped up, available for students or staff who broke down. It's one of the things Jones does whenever a student dies, one piece of Richmond's unique answer to gun violence. So we're going to take you into this conference room. Okay. Just to um, get settled. Margot Tacey met us in the front office. She's the manager of Trauma Responsive Strategy. Tacey and Jones say we can tag along as they wait to see if and where they're needed. They also tell us how they found out about Jaden's death. So I don't know what, what you want to know, but I can kind of walk you through how this, how this happened. I mean, how it came to us. I actually saw it on the news last night. Police responded to the Stratford Apartments on South Kenmore Road. RPD here is trying to figure out who did this and why it happened. When Jones first saw the report, 
She hoped it didn't involve Richmond students. Then she got a call from Richmond Police Captain Daniel Minton. He and Jones work closely together. They phone each other every morning at 5.30. Whenever there's a school-related emergency, they help each other figure out what to do next. About three hours after the shooting, Jones saw Captain Minton's name cross her phone screen. She picked up and listened as he told her what she didn't want to hear, that a student was shot and killed. It was Jaden Carter. In this case, he identified the student as a Huguenot student. He's like, just, you know, hold tight, I'm trying to get information, that kind of thing. So when he confirmed everything, it wasn't, it was probably about 9.30 last night. 9.30, so that's when I started my text spiel, my text. Jones always starts her crisis response by firing off a series of texts to her team, to people like Tacey, but also to the superintendent, the principal, Huguenot's mental health staff, and anyone else who may need to help students, teachers, and staff process the death. Can you read that text? Uh, good evening. Information just coming in from RPD shooting on Southside, Huguenot, 12th grader male, fatal shooting victim. So that's to the division crisis team. When Jones and Tacey arrived at Huguenot early that morning, they checked in with the principal and the mental health teams, then strategized. How would they tell students? What information could they share? What did they still need to figure out? When we saw Principal Gilstrap, he looked upset. As I mentioned earlier, Jaden was in the front office the previous day. Gilstrap had spoken to him just hours before his death. He was in the front office yesterday. What was that interaction? Right there at the counter. When tragedy hits the school, Gilstrap has to figure out how to tell everyone. That day, he decided not to make an announcement about Jaden over the loudspeaker. It was a testing day, and he didn't want to create a distraction. Instead, teachers would tell classes on their own. But first, Gilstrap had to tell the teachers. One of Jaden's teachers was too emotional to talk about his death. So Gilstrap delivered the news to students for her. I started off by saying, I know that you all think if I'm in here, it's not good. I know that. And I said, um, I have sad news to tell you all. And I said, one of your classmates died last night due to gun violence. And I told them the name because they all know who he is. And I said, I'm really sorry that this happened. I said, I'm tired of this happening. I said, I know that you all have all different kinds of relationships with him. And for some of you, maybe he was your best friend and maybe some of you barely even knew him or liked him. But you all sat in class every day together. And I wanted you to know that we're here for you. And if you need someone to talk to right now, we have people right now. And if you don't want to talk to anyone right now, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But in a couple hours, you might change your mind, or a couple days. And if you don't feel comfortable talking to the teacher, um, you can come talk to me anytime. And we also have counselors and social workers. And um, opened it up for any questions, and nobody had questions. And uh, I reiterated that I was really sad and sorry that this happened. What was their reaction? Silence. Staring. Didn't say anything. 
But over the next few months, students opened up to us about how they felt that day. Even the ones who didn't know him told us they were shocked, numb, sad. The school felt different, less safe. Shootings and deaths weren't new. But Jaden died right behind the school. It was just kind of like a like an awe because it happened so close to the school. So students were obviously, I was sort of on edge. You know, like, uh, it, it just felt too close. It felt too, like, felt unsafe. That was sophomore Nathan Munoz. He worried he could be shot, too. Another sophomore at the time, Terrell Williams Ford, found himself wondering, would teachers have to announce his death someday? Or his friends? It was like, dang, like, they could have easily said one of my friends' names, or one of my friends could have easily heard them say my name. For students who knew Jaden, the day was tougher. Another senior, Kamaya King, told us that even though Jaden was small, he had a really deep voice. It filled up the whole bus on the ride to school every morning. He was so loud, and he was so bubbly, and I'm just really quiet. So every time he was on a bus, I was just like, oh my gosh, he is so loud. And then, like, it's like when he passed away, it was just so silent. It was, it was just like nobody was laughing anymore. I was kind of hurt because I've known him since, like, grade school. Man, I grew up with him. That's Tristan Bailey. He and Jaden were childhood friends. They went to the same elementary school. He was supposed to have history class with Jaden that Wednesday. From the minute you saw that empty seat, did you feel like something might be wrong? I guess the counselors sitting in the back room because, like, the only time that usually happens is if something bad happens. One of these adults in the room was instructional specialist Tess Short. She's the staffer who does her best to blend in with kids on days like these. But of course, she still stands out, despite her hoodie and converse. We met her out in the hallway between periods. And so I'm going to sociology, and then when I leave sociology, I'm going to Spanish too. In addition to sitting in Jaden's seat and watching his classmates, part of her job is to see if anyone needs help and send them to a counselor or social worker if they do. To someone like Whitney Wilson, who is standing ready that day in her healing lounge. Short also takes over for distraught educators. Like during Jaden's first period class, when the teacher came apart. Then he kind of broke down, so I kind of took over the class (laughs) and took attendance and just talked to the students about who I was and what I do and... So for the duration of that block, I just kind of hung out. The students were fine. That's what she said at first, that the students were fine. She hadn't yet sent anyone to counseling that day. Then she corrected herself. So no, they're not fine, but they're internalizing it. And they've had so many. It's like, it's not, I don't want, it's not the norm, but it's like, I don't want to say they expect it to happen either, but it's, it's like they've, They've got adjusted to hearing that people are passing away. But around adults they knew, some students acted differently. We talked to one teacher in the building who saw students break down that day. Angela Brown, an English teacher, had Jaden in her third period class. One of the students who, he's always been kind of hard, you know. One of the guys you don't mess with. He came straight into the class and put his head on my shoulder, and he stayed there literally for five to ten minutes, just weeping. 
just weeping. We asked her how she felt when she heard Jaden died. How did you react? Did you? My instant reaction was, what? What? Oh, no. Not again. Somehow, most of the terrible things that took place at Huguenot that year happened to Angela Brown and her students. The student shot while walking to a school bus stop was in her English class. So was the student accused of shooting his sister outside an elementary school. The girl who died in the car crash? Angela Brown had been her substitute teacher. Brown was tired of the tragedies. So, the day after Jaden died, she sat down with her remaining students. She had no idea why Jaden had been shot. But she'd known other students who died after they got involved in criminal activity. She wanted to keep Jaden's classmates from that fate. So we talked about this for good, about Jaden for, and then we switched, switched gears. I said, now what are we going to do about this? You know, how, what, are we gonna, what is our takeaway from this? Um, are you going to continue to be around people who perpetuate this type of activity, shooting and Drugs. I said, so, so what's your takeaway? And one student said, Miss Brown, it could have been me. And I said, yes, it could have been any of you. Brown does this a lot, throwing out the lesson plan and just talking with students about the world outside of Richmond, about their futures. She tells them to explore while they can, even though she knows many will never leave the city. The day before Jaden died, that's what she was doing. And these were my words. When you all graduate, you may never see any of these people again. I said, some of them are going to go off to college, some going to work. And I said, and some of them may die. You know, that's what I was telling them. And here it is, the very next day, one of your classmates has died. So it really... I don't like the fact, and I hate the fact that I'm going to say this, but Jaden's death was almost solidifying what I had just told them the day before. I'm praying that the light bulb went off after that conversation. Jaden was a bright kid. Brown showed us a personal essay he wrote for her class. It says, My name is Jaden Carter. I was born on December 14th, 2004, on my mom's 30th birthday. When I was born, I took a very long time to come out, so the doctors were going to cut me out. The second they said that, I came out. In preschool, I excelled. Like other adults at Huguenot, Brown was worried about Jaden before he died. She told us that when he put in the effort, he did really well, but he was missing class. And when he did come, he would jump up and leave the second the bell rang. She'd been working with Jaden's mother to make him go to school. I have a relationship with this young man's mom because trying to get this young man on track to, to pass and graduate, I've been talking to his mom a lot. And so I called his mom and she just went, Miss Brown, Miss Brown. And I said, tell me this is not true. And she started wailing 
so much to the point she couldn't catch her breath. And she wasn't ready for me to pray with her at that moment, even though I did. She, she wasn't ready for that because she was hurt and she was angry. And I think I felt as though she wanted to be angry and she had every right to be angry. So I, I, I stayed on the phone and, and let her cry until she said, you know, um, Ms. Brown, call me back later. Next time on Surviving to Graduation, how the Huguenot staff was trying to help Jaden. So I was like, just take this as as an opportunity to change what you're doing outside of school. How the district is trying to keep other students safe from gun violence. Okay, so remember, it's not a time to go looking out the window, trying to see what's going on, or even going outside. You have to think safety. And whether these efforts are working. Is it working? So I I would say yes, but I'm not going to say a super strong yes, because I think it is a work in progress. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was reported by me and my colleagues Mariah Balingit and Sabi Robinson, who also produced this episode. It was edited by Rena Flores and Adam Kushner. Thanks to Renita Jablonski, Maggie Penman, April Bethea, Krista Thompson, and Trinity Webster Bass. This show was mixed by Sean Carter. We spent months reporting this episode, really trying to dig deep into the struggles and triumphs of one school. More than 50 people spent hundreds of hours with us, telling us their stories. It's work that takes time and effort and a lot of people. The best way to show your support for the show and this series is to subscribe to The Washington Post. You'll get access to the kind of in-depth journalism you just heard here. If you want to show your support for the show in this series, go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Hannah Natanson, and we'll be back tomorrow with a second episode in this series. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen.